Hey everyone, welcome to the Fresh of Breath Jets podcast, where we'll be taking you through Jet news, Jet games, and other stuff around the National Football League. So to kick off today's episode, I'd like to talk about the most recent Jet game uh, last weekend, where they went to New England to play the New England Patriots. Uh, it ended up in a loss, 28-14. It was a rough game for the Jets. Uh, Sam Darnold struggled a little bit, 23-34. of 34. For 266 yards with one touchdown, two INTs. Funny enough, his highest passing yards of the season. But uh, those two interceptions were pretty bad, thrown into double coverage. Not sure what he was thinking. Uh, Ty Johnson and Josh Adams both relatively the same performance. 11 carries each for 45 and 47 yards, respectively. Josh Adams had a touchdown early in the second quarter. Uh, Brashad Perriman had three catches for 84 yards. And Chris Herndon. Uh, really coming into his own this uh, end of the season here. Seven catches for 63 yards and a touchdown. Cam rolled us. He threw for 242 yards, uh, 21 of 30, three touchdowns, no picks, 11 rushes for 79 yards, and a receiving touchdown from uh, Jacoby Myers. It was a pretty rough game. Weather was bad. Sam didn't look great. Play calling uninspired. The only positive that came from this game was the firing of Adam Gase, which happened uh, Sunday night. They didn't even wait till Monday morning. Same thing happened with Bulls, just how the Jets roll, I guess. Obviously, he's a lame duck coach, uninspiring. I mean, I I could beat a dead horse here and just bash Gase for this entire podcast, but I'm not going to do that because it's been done before. So instead of hovering over that, why don't we move on and take a look at some potential head coaching candidates for the Jets in 2021. So I have them ranked in which order I would prefer them to be hired. Bottom being the least I prefer and the top being the ones I want the most. So let's start with the honorable mention because this coach unfortunately signed an extension with uh, his team and will not be in the coaching circle for this year. But Patrick Graham, defensive coordinator for the New York Giants, I think he was a hot name around the league. He was requested by a lot of teams, but he signed his extension uh, just this week, so he will not be in the in the in the ring. But his Giants defense, uh, after the hiring of head coach Joe Judge, was very solid this year. In 2019, the Giants were an abysmal defensive team, um, but with this year they dipped into free agency a little bit to sign some players. They they uh, added Blake Martinez, James Bradbury, who had a career year this year, and Logan Ryan, safety. They were 12th in total yards per game and 9th in points allowed per game, which is pretty solid considering where they came from last year. He's a leader of men type guy. I'm sure he's learning a lot from Joe Judge, but he will definitely get some looks next year, possibly even a head coaching job if he chooses to do so. So kicking off our list for... Uh, coaches and coordinators the Jets have interviewed is Marvin Lewis. His interview was completed January 7th. This is via the Jets. He was the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals from 2003 to 2018 before being fired, where he stuck on at Arizona State University as a defensive coordinator. During his tenure with the Bengals, he had six 10-win seasons and seven playoff appearances, which led to zero playoff wins. Now, the reason why he's at the bottom of the list is because he's just kind of a retread hire. I, I really think the Jets need to go in a, a new direction. They need a fresh face, someone the league hasn't seen before to succeed. Uh, Lewis is definitely the CEO type coach who Joe Douglas has been looking for, but I really don't think he should be considered the top candidate for the Jet job. Coming in next, we have Aaron Glenn, New Orleans Saints defensive backs coach. He... Uh, the Jets requested to interview him a couple days ago via Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. He's actually a former Jet, drafted 12th overall in 1994. 
had a solid playing career with the Jets and a few other teams around the league. After he retired, his first uh, work as not a player was actually some scout work for the Jets from 2012 to 2013. But then he went to the Cleveland Browns to be an assistant defensive backs coach from 2014 to 15, and then joined the Saints in 2016 where he's been since. I don't think the Jets were really looking at him as a potential head coaching candidate. Maybe they were just trying to get some info on him, maybe looking at him as a defensive coordinator. I just don't think he's not very likely to be selected as the head coach due to his lack of experience. Maybe he'll, he'll come on as another part of the coaching staff when uh, they hire another coach. Next up is Matt Eberflus of the Indianapolis Colts. He's their defensive coordinator. The Jets requested to interview him uh, via Ian Rappaport. Just a reminder, uh, a lot of these teams that are in the playoffs, teams request to interview these coaches. They usually wait until they at least have like maybe a, a, a bye week or, or after their games are done. Uh, so we'll see how that happens. Maybe next week they'll get the interview in. So the Colts' defense finished 8th in yards per game and 10th in points allowed per game this year which is not, not bad considering they faced Deshaun Watson and the Texans and the Tennessee Titans twice a year. Uh, he coached college ball from 1992 to 2008 and made the jump to the NFL as Browns linebacker coach in 2009. Uh, in 2011, he made the switch over to the Cowboys where he coached the same position before Frank Reich hired him as his defensive coordinator in 2018. He's another CEO-type head coach, I feel, probably looking more to oversee the entire team. But I have him ranked a little bit lower because I don't know too much about him. I didn't really hear his name until his name started circulating in these head coaching searches uh, around towards the end of the season. Next up, we got Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Rams. He is their defensive coordinator. Uh, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, his interview was requested this week. He's a young guy, 38 years old, and uh, he coached D2 and D3 college ball from 2006 to 2016 before making the jump to the NFL, uh, going to coach the Bears in 2017, and then the, the Broncos in 2018 and 19. The Rams are, the defense was an interesting story this year. Uh, after 2019, their defense regressed, or excuse me, regressed from that Super Bowl run in 2018. So they parted ways with defensive coordinator Wade Phillips, and they hired him from the, from the, from the Broncos. He really rejuvenated that Rams defense this year after a down year in 2019. Uh, first in yards allowed per game and points allowed per game, which is pretty impressive. Although, I do have to admit, it's pretty helpful when you have two of the best defensive players in the NFL on your team, and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. The reason I have him higher than Eberflus is um, his possibility of, if, if he were to be hired, he could bring some Sean McVay boys to come handle the offense while he, you know, m maybe lean, leans towards the defense a bit. But um, the only downside I have with him is he just his lack of experience. I'm, I'm not sure he has too much experience coaching the pros, but you know we'll see how that one goes. Next up, we have Eric Bieniemy, Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. He was interviewed by the Jets this week, actually, because the Chiefs have their their first round bye. Uh, Bieniemy is an interesting story. He played running back in the NFL from 1991 to 99. And he began his coaching career at Boulder, his alma mater, in 2001 before making the jump to the NFL in 2006 where his first three years he coached running backs in Minnesota. So he oversaw Adrian Peterson's first few years in the league, which is pretty impressive. He's been with the Chiefs since 2013. And when Matt Nagy left to go coach the Chicago Bears, he was promoted to offensive coordinator in 2018. Now, the only reason why I don't have him higher up on the list is Andy Reid's offensive coordinators don't call plays. Reed really uh, handles that bulk of the workload there. It's also beneficial to him to be coaching Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, 
it probably makes your job a little bit easier having these superstar players around. Although Mahomes did give him an endorsement, which in my eyes is pretty shining endorsement. He's definitely a viable option, especially if the Jets, uh, excuse me, if the Jets make a, a certain trade that I'll, I'll be be bringing up later. Next up, we got Robert Sala, San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator. Uh, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, the Jets requested to interview him this week. He's coached in the NFL since 2005. He oversaw the, uh, the Legion of Boom defense in Seattle, so he's got a Super Bowl ring from that. He's, an, he's a high-energy coach. Whenever I, I watch a Niners game, I always see him jumping up and down on the sidelines. It makes you wonder, though, um, a lot of these high-energy coaches like Greg Williams, Rex Ryan, you get that initial burst of performance because of how high, intense they are, but you got to wonder if that wears down on players. I mean, he's been the D.C. since 2017, so it's been three years now, and it doesn't seem like that defense has been regressing. Uh, last year, when they made their Super Bowl run, the defense was top two in the league, I believe. Fantastic defense. This year they had a lot of injuries all over that side of the ball, so they regressed a bit, but they were still top ten, which is pretty impressive considering they lost half their team to injuries. Um, could potentially be a great hire. Um, I, I see him, if he comes over to be the head coach, he could bring along some uh, some Kyle Shanahan guys to man up the offense while he leans towards the defense mostly. The guy I look at the most is Mike LaFleur, little brother of Green Bay Packers head coach Matt. He's the passing coordinator for the Niners, and he's seen success with Jimmy G over the last few years, so that could be a, an interesting look. Next up on the list is Arthur Smith, the uh, offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. The Jets allegedly requested an interview him this week via Adam Schefter of ESPN. He's been an NFL coach since 2007, and I, I saw in his resume he's actually worked with both defense and offense before, which is pretty impressive. This year, the Titans were third in yard, yards per game and fourth in points per game. And he oversaw Derrick Henry's 2,000-yard season, which is very, very impressive. But I think the, the feather in his cap, Arthur Smith's, is how he re revitalized Ryan Tannehill's career. Coming over from the Dolphins, Tannehill was considered mostly a bust. He didn't really live up to that first-round pick, like uh, draft status. But ever since he's come to the Titans, he's been on one of the hottest stretches of any quarterback in NFL history. Um, I really like this option. I hope Joe Douglas takes a look at him. His resume speaks enough for itself, and I think he could really do really work wonders, especially with, with uh, experience on both sides of the ball. So at the top of this list, I have Brian Dabble, Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator. The Jets requested an interview this week via Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, and he's been in, he has a lot of experience. He's been an NFL coach since 2000. He's been on every single team in the NFC East and has three rings from his time as wide receivers coach with the Patriots from those first three Super Bowls. Um, but what teams are really looking at with Dabble is what he's done with Josh Allen. Josh Allen coming into the NFL in 2018 was considered a project. He was supposed to sit for a year before really taking the reins of a franchise and really being that quarterback. His rookie year, he finished with 52.8 completion percentage. And this year in his Dark Horse MVP campaign, he's up to 69.2%. The Bills were second in yards per game and points per game, and he's got lots of experience. I really think he, he it's, it's time for him to get a turn, and I think he's the, the best pro option out there right now. Now, I was going to add this guy to the list, but right now there is no word on it because he's a college coach, but Matt Campbell of Iowa State. Um, we're not going to know if the Jets interview him or if they even get close to hiring him because college coaches like to keep that stuff under wraps due to recruitment. Uh, if they're trying to recruit a kid out of high school and they hear that the coach who's talking to them is looking at a job in the NFL, they might get scared off. It's not too good for the team, but 
Campbell's been a, a coach since 2003 uh, in college. He, he's never been to the pros, but he's but his resume speaks for itself. He was hired as the Iowa State head coach in 2016, and he has instantly turned that that uh, that program into a, a perennial contender. They they're always, they always play hard. They're never blown out. He's actually upset a few top five ranked teams. Most notably in 2017, he upset number three Oklahoma and number four TCU. He's a three-time Big 12 Coach of the Year, and NFL's been looking for him. In 2018, the Jets requested to interview him after firing Todd Bowles, but he declined because he wanted to stick around at Iowa State. I think he's like Matt Rule 2.0. He can come in, instantly change the culture, and start building something to looking towards the future. Now, I don't know if the Jets are going to get him. We're not going to know anything unless it gets close, but that's my list of head coaches. That's who the Jets have requested so far. If anything else comes up, I'll definitely put it in the next episode. But I think the, the most important part about the coaching search is we're not going to know what's going to happen at quarterback until our new coach comes in. The way I see it, the Jets have a few options, especially with the number two overall pick. The, the options are just, just endless. So let's start off with Sam Darnold. He's been the Jets quarterback for three years. In 2018, they traded up from six to three to, to pick him. Uh, he showed a lot of flashes his rookie year especially that Green Bay game against Aaron Rodgers. They, they went toe-for-toe, toe and everyone got all excited because, oh, this is the quarterback of the future. But the past two years, he's been nothing short of disappointing and inconsistent. He had a solid stretch in his second season down the, down the back nine, but people could argue that that's only from the soft teams they played. In 2020, he regressed even further. Career lows with 2,208 yards, nine touchdowns, 11 picks. 59.6 completion percentage, which is just terrible considering how offenses run in the NFL these days. Um, throughout the course of the season, most Jet fans were pretty convinced we were going to be going 0-16, picking Trevor Lawrence, but those two wins at the end of the season against the Rams and the Browns took us out of the running, so now we're sitting at number two. So the options at number two are very interesting. I think it comes down to these top two prospects behind Trevor Lawrence. you got Zach Wilson, quarterback out of BYU. So Zach Wilson was uh, similar to Joe Burrow, where his sophomore and junior year, he wasn't really on anyone's radar, but senior year, he lit it up. He threw for 3,692 yards, 33 touchdowns, 3 picks, with a 73.5 completion percentage. Now, I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch a lot of BYU games this year besides the Boca Raton Bowl, where he really did light up UCF, but however, it's, it's UCF. He made a lot of great throws. I'm not sure if he could get away with a lot of the stuff he was pulling off in the NFL, but I'm not sure. Uh, I really preferred him to Justin Fields until Fields had that game against Clemson. Uh, this year, in only uh, six games for Fields because Ohio State had a shortened schedule, he threw for 1,906 yards, 21 touchdowns, six picks, and a 73.4 completion percentage. Uh, throughout the season, Fields has always been considered the number two quarterback behind Lawrence, until he had a huge stinker against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. And that's when Zach Wilson started surpassing him a little bit in some of these these uh, mock drafts and quarterback rankings. But he bounced back hard against Clemson in the Sugar Bowl, throwing for 385 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, one of the most impressive things I saw from Fields was he took a really hard shot in the second quarter, right to the ribs, on a questionable targeting call. You, you can debate that if you want. I, I, I thought it was the right call. But he, he came back, and he threw three more touchdowns, threw, threw some deep balls, and i, I got to say, he's got one of the most beautiful strokes I've seen. 
uh, his drop back, his throwing form. I think Fields really cemented himself as the number two quarterback in the draft in that game. And his stock can only go higher or lower, depending on how he plays against Alabama in the college football championship. But we'll see what happens. And um, I'm glad I recorded this today because uh, yesterday some news broke about uh, Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson and how unhappy he is with the, the state of the franchise right now over there in Houston. Uh, owner Cal McNair told him he would have some some, some say in the uh, GM hiring and the coach hiring. Uh, but unfortunately, the Texans took their word back. They they didn't ha- he didn't have any input when they hired GM Nick Casero, and uh, they're not interviewing te- uh, Deshaun Watson's preferred coaching candidate Eric Bieniemy. That's why I mentioned Bieniemy in the uh, in the coaching circle because if the Jets were to make a trade for Watson. Maybe that they could tell him, hey, we'll hire the enemy if if you can waive that no trade clause in your contract and come on over here. Uh, Watson's only 25 years old. He's a three-time Pro Bowler and led the league in passing yards in 2020. He signed that contract extension worth 160 mil four years before this season. I I don't really see the Texans trading him really that seriously, but uh, I think a package could be put together. Uh, For the Jets, I could see them maybe putting Sam... Both the Seattle firsts and a third together. Maybe see what what uh with the Texans. <laughs> Maybe if Bill O'Brien was still there, they would say yeah. But I'm not too sure about it now. Um, I know there's a lot of people on the the ride with Sam train, but in my opinion, I think the new head coach that comes in here this year, hired by Joe, by Joe Douglas and the team, is not going to want to be tied to a quarterback who hasn't been consistent his first three years in the league. I think they'll want a fresh start. I think they'll want some some new blood in here. And let let a coach take a crack at a young quarterback who hasn't who hasn't been touched by Adam Gase yet. So moving on from the quarterback debate, I say we should hop into the wild card games this weekend and break down each one, give my predictions and some some keys and X factors for each game. So we'll go in chronological order, starting off with the Indianapolis Colts at the Buffalo Bills. That's going to be Saturday at one o'clock. Buffalo's favored by six points, as they should be. They're the hottest team in football right now. Uh, the Colts are a little inconsistent. I think they really try and run that ball first. They don't want to make Phillip Rivers throw the ball too many times. He's almost 40. He can't win on his arm anymore. I think the Bills win this game uh, just purely based on how hot they are and how much of a roll they're on. The only way I can see the Colts winning is if they're able to just run that ball down down the Bills' throats, keep Josh Allen on the sideline, and just run that clock out and try and score some points. But other than that, I think Buffalo takes the win 30-20. to 20. Next up, we got the Los Angeles Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks are favored, minus three. Uh, Obviously, two divisional teams. They've already played each other twice this year. Two defensive battles. Um, Goff might not be playing. He's questionable with that broken thumb. Uh, Regardless, I feel the Seahawks win at home is most likely, even if Goff plays. My prediction, Seattle 23, Rams 16. Saturday night, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Washington football team. So Washington, everyone knows, winner of the NFC East, gets that home playoff game at 7-9. Uh, Brady and the Bucks close out the season pretty hot. I, I think, obviously, the recipe to beat Brady has always been the same. You, gotta get, you, you have to get pressure from that, that front four, and I think the football team can do that. Guys like Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan – all capable of putting some pressure on there. But what I'm looking at for this game is I don't think the football team offense will be able to keep up with that Tampa Bay offense. Uh, it's going to be a tough one, probably a slow, 
slugfest with Tampa Bay finally pulling away in the end. Unless Antonio Gibson can pull off some Marshawn Lynch beastquake type magic, I think Tampa Bay wins that game 31-17. Kicking off Sunday's slate of games, we have Baltimore at Tennessee. Baltimore is a road favorite, three and a half points. This is a, I think this is my favorite game of the weekend because it's a rematch of last year's divisional playoff game. Uh, I think the key matchup here is Derrick Henry versus that Baltimore run defense. Uh, can Baltimore recover from that ass-kicking they got last year at home? Uh, Lamar really needs this game to shut off that playoff stigma. He's 0-2 in his first two career playoff games. Didn't perform very well against the Chargers in 2018 or last year against the Titans for that matter. Uh, I think the Ravens are going to be hungry for this game. They're going to want to show the world some revenge, show them that they're for real in the playoffs this year, even not clinching that division. I think Baltimore's going to win this game 28-24, purely based off the revenge factor, and Tennessee goes home a little early this year. Next up is probably the easiest game of the weekend to call. Uh, we got the Chicago Bears going to New Orleans. New Orleans favored by 10.5 points. I think Chicago is definitely the worst team in the playoffs. They started 5-1, and one, lost 5 straight to get to 5-6, and six, and then backed into the playoffs with three easy wins over Houston, Minnesota, and Jacksonville. I don't think they're that good of a team. They only got in because the, the Cardinals lost. Uh, the Saints are a little banged up, but I think getting Michael Thomas back will be a shot in the arm for that offense. Less reliance on Alvin Kamara. He doesn't have to run six touchdowns anymore. Trubisky's going to get overwhelmed by that New Orleans defense, and I think the Chicago defense will keep it close for maybe a little bit, first quarter or two, but the Saints start pulling away. Final score, Saints 27, Bears 13. So the final game of Wild Card Weekend is going to be Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's favorite, favored by uh, six points. It's a rematch of last week's where the Browns squeaked out a win over the Mason Rudolph-led Steelers. The Browns got some bad luck because they got hit with a COVID outbreak right before this week. They're not going to have head coach Kevin Stefanski on the sideline, which is going to be a huge deal. I don't think the Browns are going to be able to overcome that. Uh, the Steelers can sell out to stop the run. They can stop Nick Chubb, stop Kareem Hunt, and force Baker to win with his arm, which is a recipe for disaster for the Browns. I think it'll result in a Steelers win. Sorry, Browns. Your playoff berth is short-lived. My prediction is Pittsburgh 26 Cleveland, 19.